Well, good morning, everyone. Have you survived the holidays? It's good to see you out. Uh, A lot of people away visiting their families and some visiting family here. We welcome you to uh, Mount Calvary Church. If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 12. Did you know that um, the Jews have several different types of New Year's? They have one in the fall and one in the spring and even have some extras. Uh, But their main ones are in the fall and the spring. The um, civil civil New Year is in the fall, but the religious New Year is in the spring. Uh, We know from Exodus chapter 12 that the first month of the year, in a religious sense, was supposed to be April. And uh, the first ceremony of the new year occurred on the 14th day of the first month, and it was called Passover. So actually, Easter should be the new year holiday. As a Christian, um, shouldn't Easter mark our year? That's what the Bible intended. I know that uh, many children love Christmas time and uh, like to get presents, but God's way is that the first thing that we should think about in the new year is the cross. And uh, we've kind of lost that in our culture. The first thing we think about is, you know, using our stuff we got, and then New Year is about partying. It's not really about the cross, but in Exodus chapter 12, it's all about the lamb and applying the blood of the lamb. And some of you here maybe just happen to be visiting your relatives, or maybe you come to this church and aren't really a Christian, or maybe you're still battling with questions. I want to address what the scriptures say is the center of our faith. As a As a teacher for many years, I would always ask the class, what's the defining feature of Christianity? And if a person in the class could get it right, it was a miracle. Many would claim to be Christians, and I would ask, um, what's the defining feature of Christianity? What do we mark ourselves by? If Islam is about submission, the word Islam means submission, Submit to Allah, cause the world to submit to Allah, do what you have to do to submit, that's Islam, right? Buddhism, the Eightfold Path. What is Christianity? Christianity is about blood atonement. It's about the cross, and it's about nothing else but the cross, the resurrection of the Son of God uh, for mankind because we are separated from God because of our sin. And if you don't believe that, just think about it today. How close do you feel to the Lord? You who are without the Lord Jesus, uh, you are in a place on the outskirts of a galaxy, one among a billion galaxies. Where does that leave you in terms of your own personal significance? If you think logic will get you to the cross, science will get you to the cross, Paul said that foolishness, God chose foolishness 
to confound the wise and the weak things to confound the things that are mighty and the things that are not to bring to naught that all, uh, that no flesh would glory in his presence. I want to talk to you about a passage, John chapter 12. Jesus had just entered Jerusalem just after the new year. We're a week into the new year when this passage happens. The people, he comes to Bethany where he had raised Lazarus from from the dead there was a stir in town just outside of Jerusalem. He comes into Jerusalem. They pull down palm branches. They take off their coats. They lay it down. And they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> All the religious people from around the world, the Jews had gone up because they had pilgrimage festivals. They were in Jerusalem. There were even some Greeks there from, from Greece. Very precise. This passage about Greeks from Greece were there. People from all over the world had come to celebrate, just like somebody might go to New York, right? See the ball drop? That's what we do, right? We go to New York for the Macy's Day Parade, and uh, we tend to collect. So that's what they did. Now, they were yelling and screaming, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch habab Hashem Adonai. And they would take off their coats, and here's the king. Your king comes, lowly, riding on a donkey's colt. But there was trouble brewing. Uh, the Pharisees got a little bit of je- je- had a little bit of jealousy. They started to scheme. But in the midst of all that, some Greeks come and they grab Philip and they say, we want to see Jesus. And that's where we pick up in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who had come, uh, who, who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Don't you think that's a good question? We wish to see Jesus. Unfortunately, Jesus does not give them the time of day. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew told Philip. Andrew and Philip told Jesus, but Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come the Son of Man should be glorified. But assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him will my father honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I... If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men, all peoples, to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. How do you face the future? It's a new year. 
Uh, I was very glad to hear about the, the children's sermon. That's what we're facing, the future. Um, some of you probably have some resolutions. Every year I resolve to lose weight. Obviously, it hasn't worked. We resolve to do better at school, to help our family more. All kinds of things. Uh, how do you face the future? With promises? In this particular case, Jesus was faced with the future, and he's troubled. The scriptures say he's troubled. <clears throat> so let's just look at this for a minute. We would see Jesus. Would any of you want to talk to Jesus? Just a little talk with Jesus makes things right, right? Some of you bluegrass uh, lovers. Perfectly legitimate question. So there's a sense of this question is pretty uh, maybe apropos for today. We want to see Jesus. There's a sense of entitlement that we have that Jesus is always there. He's kind of like McDonald's. You drive up, <clears throat> uh, you tell him your order in the window, and then you pick it up. And if he doesn't do that, then we're kind of mad at him, like as if he works for us. <clears throat> These Greeks had the right idea, but the wrong time. It wasn't time. Some of us think that, oh, when I'm old, that's when I'll get religious. When I'm old, that's, that's when I'll turn my heart towards the Lord Jesus. Or after I have a little party time, after I kind of sow my wild oats, after I spend my money, then we'll go to Jesus and say, I would see Jesus. Maybe Jesus will say to you that time, you're not sincere. This isn't about you. It's about me. It's not about your kingdom. Come, your will be done. It's about my kingdom come. My will be done. And as Americans, we think that because we have money and power and influence and military or whatever, we have this kind of idea that uh, God is always there for me. The most beloved hymn in America, and I hate to just uh, dash this to pieces, is, I, is in the garden. He walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own. It's all about me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins and our trespasses like we sin against others and trespass against them. You know, it's thine be the kingdom and the power and the glory. How do we switch this around so that we become the center of it all? <clears throat> we think maybe Jesus is like our retirement fund. He's just, we just keep it there and someday we'll get it when we need it. <clears throat> we live in a culture of immediacy. If you look at this text, Jesus answers and he says in verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come. The hour has come. And I would even say right now, the hour has come for some of you. Some of you will probably never, ever again hear a message like this, ever. Somebody will tell you that today you need to decide whether or not your future, 
you have seized the center of your Christian faith or you're going to live by some secondary agenda, either your own, something you inherited from your parents. The hour has come. It's not about what the Greeks want. It's not about somebody coming, I would see Jesus. It's even a good motive. But they are stalled because Jesus was about God's agenda. The world is filled with endless curiosities. You know, we, uh, we have a tendency to, um, uh, how shall I say, we, we have so many hobbies and so much stuff, um, we pursue things kind of whimsically. And very few people live for something anymore. And Christians, I don't know if we really live for the cross. Jesus says in verse 26, if you look at it, um, he says, Where I am, there my servant will be. Where are you today? I would ask you this. Where are you? If Christianity is about the cross and where Jesus is, his servants will be, don't pretend to be a Christian if you do not walk like the Savior. Because the Savior says, where I am, there my servants will be. So, if we're not where he is, then we're obviously not a Christian. We're not a servant. Don't pretend to be one. I would also say this. How does somebody get to be where Jesus is? He just explains this in the previous two verses. If you look, verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and and dies, it remains alone. But if it does, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. I'm sorry, my voice is scratchy because I coached basketball yesterday and I screamed too much. If Jesus is there, I want to be there. If Jesus is there, I want to be there. If Jesus is not there, I don't want to be there. Right? If Jesus is not there, I don't want to be there. Where I am, there my servant will be. Before we moved here, there was a farmer who farmed an acre and a half of my land and a whole bunch of land around, and he would plant his corn. Now I'd plant my corn. <clears throat> I'd plant my corn before his, and his would come up before mine. It would be twice as big as mine, and the heads would be much bigger, and I'd ask him, how did he do it? He says, Dan, I'm a farmer, which meant, obviously, you're not. Um, <clears throat> So I decided one day I was going to pull a piece of his corn. I didn't tell him. I pulled a piece of his corn and I counted the kernels. 750 kernels. 
750 kernels, that's a pretty good yield, right? One in, 750 out. Jesus said, um, except a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it dies, it, it abides alone. But if, if it's planted, it brings forth much fruit. You know, I got my first seed catalog this past week, right? How this company got my name, I don't know. Some of you get seed catalogs. If you're on one of them, you get them all. You know, Burpee, uh, Roarer. Uh, you know, those seeds don't do any good if they're still in a packet. They don't. You have to plant them in order for it to produce fruit. If you examine your own life and you look back, look back on your life and say, how much fruit is there? How much fruit is there in your life? How much fruit have you seen? Um, and if it's not much, I would venture a guess that probably you haven't died very much. Um, you know, churches are dwindling. Um, less men in churches. Um, churches are being populated by women. Uh, there's the feminization of the church. Uh, I would probably say that one of the biggest reasons for this is that we've gotten uh, away from the cross. We've gotten away from the cross because the, co- the cross reminds us of what we should be doing. I never did like these things. Got to be stable. <clears throat> We've gotten away from the cross. We've gotten away from uh, a simple faith. We no longer, we no longer uh, have control of the center of our theology, and we have been hijacked by all kinds of secondary agendas. <clears throat> hey, is the church about Awanas? Is the church about the Christian school? Is the church? about teaching kids in the nursery? Is the church about worship? No, the church is about the God that we worship. The church is about the God of the Christian school. It's about the Savior who redeemed us. It's not about upward. It's not about basketball and football. It's about the God of the people that play basketball and football. Listen, my, my proposal in a few minutes to you is, this is a new year. I want you to resolve that the cross will be in the center of your new year. And at that point, you will find that you will bear more fruit than you have ever borne in your life if the cross is at the middle. If your planning is at the middle, you'll get what planning will get. Now... <clears throat> The difficulty in putting the cross at the middle is what, will ha- what happened to Jesus will happen to you. Look what, uh, where we go. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. Now this might be a shock to you that the Son of God had a troubled soul. Uh, in the face of death, the prospect of death is troubling. It's costly. We say, well, will it cost me too much? After all, I've got my limits. Um, 
Jesus didn't say that. <clears throat> he had optimism in the midst of his troubled soul. <clears throat> Jesus had a death decision to make. And I believe that every Christian has a death decision to make on a regular basis. Not just the one that says, I'm no longer going to live for myself, but live for him who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to live for the Lord Jesus, uh, or I'm going to receive his life because I've messed up mine. Um, I have sinned. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I want to know that righteousness. I want to know that cleanness. And I would say it's very, very simple for you to make that decision, but the cost is very great. And don't let anybody tell you all you got to do is believe. Because when you believe and your kingdom is no longer your kingdom but God's kingdom, then all of a sudden your value system becomes, uh, stand, it's it stood on its head and, and you have a values reversal. <clears throat> How good are you at crisis management? I, I tend not to be so good at that when uh, if something happens, I, uh, I tend to react, getting better. I guess I'm the head of school. I probably shouldn't admit that, right? Uh, when the crisis comes, what do you do? We often default to a certain um, habit that we've all, always had. Crisis comes, and we go back. Rather than the crisis comes, optimistic, and I'm going to move forward. If you look at the text, um, Jesus says... He, he thinks out loud for us. <clears throat> now, is my troll subble, uh, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Do you know there's some terrible prayers that are prayed in the Bible? Do you think that all prayer is good? Is all prayer good? Better be careful. That's a trick question. Obviously, all prayer is not good. Abraham prayed a prayer, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now we have a billion Muslims because a godly man prayed an ungodly prayer at the wrong time because he didn't want God's way, he wanted his own way. Abraham is not the father, not only the father of the faithful, he's also the father of the unfaithful because he prayed, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, what prayers have you prayed? Sometimes we don't want God's way because the cost is too great. God, get me out of here. I don't want to be in this church. I don't want to be in this marriage. I don't want to be with these children. I don't want to be in this ministry. And God says, you know, I have great things for you ahead. Uh, why don't you want to be there? Your soul is troubled. What will you say? Save me from this hour? It's a reflex, right? We have self-preservation. We don't want God's way a lot of times. And, and you could be an el elder, um, pastor, deacon, Sunday school teacher, Awana leader, uh, what else, committee member, school trustee. I don't care how spiritual you are, you can still pray an ungodly prayer at the wrong time and really mess up your life. Jesus said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He says a very critical thing. Uh, he said he was born for this hour. If you look at the text, uh, <clears throat> verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose came I to this hour. 
You know, before Jesus ever started his ministry, John the Baptist, how in the world he ever knew it, when Jesus arrived on the scene, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus hadn't even started teaching. How did John know that? After all, he was his, you know, their mothers were cousins. Maybe Jesus told him. Maybe God told him. John the Baptist had it right, and the disciples who walked three years with Jesus, they didn't have it right. They got it wrong. He says, I'm telling you this by what death I'm going to die. And they said, oh, we thought Christ was supposed to live forever. What's, what's up with that? Because if you read on in the text, if you think that it's easy to seize the center of the Christian faith, the cross, it is not. It's a continual battle to be reminded that we exist because Christ died for us. Imagine, imagine the Son of God coming to earth of all are the possibilities. He comes and he gives his life for you and I. Now, if you say, I don't know if this is really my brand of Christianity. I believe that Jesus was a good example. Jesus is an example. He's not a savior. Then you believe in what's called the exemplary view of the atonement. And why did Jesus have to die? I could just choose another example. I'll choose my dad. I'll choose a great figure of the past. Jesus was just a great figure. If the God of the universe came and died on the cross for your sins, and this is the way of God, then don't you think that that's a compelling reason to yield I'm categorically against cults because Jesus is not God to them. To them, God hired a mercenary to die. If I love my children, I die for them. If I love my wife, I die for her. I don't hire somebody else to do my dying for me. If God loves you, he'll die for you. And you respond to him because he loves you, not because he was a good example. Jesus faced the death on the cross with optimism. And he knew what was at stake. He was not driven by the fear of consequences. He was not driven by the fear of loss. He was not driven by any personal life change agenda or financial or material vulnerability. He wasn't uh, afraid to go to the cross. And those of you who are real good at calculating, because I know we have quite a number of math accounting people here, um, more power to you. I'm much more simple. I can't really do the number thing so well. I know this math. This math is real good for me. Except a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if I die, I'll produce much fruit. I don't have to guarantee, I'm not the guarantee, 
tore of the fruit, all I have to do is decide to die to myself. Jesus, he knew the risk-reward ratio. It's a death-reward ratio. It's not a risk-reward ratio. It's a death-reward. Some people can't show up on time for Awanas because they don't see the cross in Awanas. Some people want to abandon their calling before God in the Sunday school. Some people want to stay at home and watch church on TV because they've lost sight of the cross. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about what God has done in my life so I can pour my life into you. Don't you think that's what we're called to, folks? Do the children not deserve your very best? Your very best. Dave said to me before church, are you bringing the heat today? Listen, the cross brings some heat because it shows me that my Savior died for me. At the start of the new year, what am I going to do? Am I going to give something less than my best to the one who gave himself for me? And then it thunders in verse 29. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice has, come, has not come because of me, but for you, for your sake. Listen, when you, when you decide on the cross, God thunders. If you don't have some thunder in your life, maybe the cross is kind of a secondary thing in your life. I want God to thunder. I don't know about you. I want some thunder in my life. I don't know. Maybe that's why James and John were called the sons of thunder. Uh, do you want God to thunder in your life somewhere? Do you want him to thunder in your kids' lives and in your classrooms? Do you want your children to take uh, the Lord Jesus into the public school, into the Christian school? Do you want some thunder out there? And just when that happens, this is what we hear. Now, the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world has been cast out. Friends, when you decide on the cross, the ruler of this world, Satan, is cast out. If you wonder why you have so many battles in your life, I will tell you why. And it doesn't require $200 an hour of counseling. It's about the cross. If you're troubled and you have difficulties in your life here or there, have you really grasped the cross? Now, that's oversimplification because sometimes we need counselors, we need people to help us. I'm not saying you abandon your counselors, but I am saying that if you uh, align yourself with the cross of the Lord Jesus, many things will get right in your life. If you're where Jesus is, you're not where Jesus is not. And if you have people in your life that do not have Jesus in their life and you're with them, you may not be where Jesus is. And then you won't hear the thunder. Throw out the prince, the judgment of this world. And then Jesus says this one critical phrase. He repeats the term I twice. If you look at it, 
And in verse 32, he says this, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to me. He said this signifying by what death he would die. Because when somebody said, um, I'm going to be lifted up, that means I'm going to be crucified. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This is God's church growth principle. Do you have the center? Do you have this theology in your life? Old people. Old. You determine what that means. 50 and older? Okay, I'm old. Have you been living with the cross at the center? Some of you young people, uh, have you have you wrongly perceived that there's some other center to your faith? Maybe the social context of the local church? That's not at the center. I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to me. If you don't feel close to the Lord Jesus today, lift him up. Look to the cross, and then you tell me you don't feel close to the Lord Jesus. When you understand who Jesus is, he draws you to himself because the cross is a compelling message of the love of God. As you approach the new year, what is in the center for you? I would love to lose weight. 30 or 40 pounds would be great. But I'll tell you, it's a whole lot easier to just um, look to the cross. I was thinking about um, Mary and Martha this morning. We have to be careful as a church, um, and I think every church, we become furious with activity. And we do, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with activity. You know, I kind of have an active lifestyle myself. But do we have the message of Christ in a, with all of our activity? Um, we, we've lost the blood today because to a modern culture that's gruesome. And um, how dare you bring a message around Christmas time when we think about the lowly Savior. How dare you bring a message about the blood of Christ because there is nothing else. Because if it's not about the cross, then all we are is a social club. Would you agree with that? You know, if you were a black church, you'd say amen, right? Do you agree with that? Amen. Well, it's kind of weak, but... Uh, We're losing. We're losing the center, folks. And with our children, we need to teach our children about the cross. We need to teach them about the blood of Christ. Um, They will be... Uh, great Christian moms and dads, doctors and lawyers, mechanics, uh, school teachers, if they're taught about the cross. 
It's not about professionalism. It's not about degrees. It's not about, in fact, the more college you get, the harder it is to keep hold of the center. Because somehow we think if we advertise better, if we um, excel in our programs, our sports programs are better, somehow we'll, we'll have a better reputation and we'll appear to the world to be more worthy somehow of justifying our existence as a church and as a school. Um, may we never lose what the real issue is. I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me.